This is the ATM at the Minute Podcast, episode number 118. It is 9 o'clock here Pacific Time, 11 o'clock Central for Peter. Staying up late, fresh off a very depressing Game 4 loss for the Phoenix Suns. We're going to touch on that at the top here, and then we also have some NBA draft stuff. We're going to talk about some risers and fallers, and then we also have some fantasy football for you at the end. Peter and I are going to be talking a little average draft position for some big names, see if they're going higher than they should be, lower, or right in that same ballpark. So pretty jam-packed episode. Peter, how are we doing on this late night? You're probably a lot better than me right now. Uh, well, thank you for bringing it in. Uh, my roommate's going to sleep. He gets up real early, so I didn't want to yell at the top of the show. If anyone's wondering why we switched that up there, I'm doing all right. Uh, I don't have as much skin in the game as you do, but I'm excited. We have a great episode. I'm excited to talk fantasy. The NBA draft is two weeks from tomorrow. No so way. That no is, way. That's going to be here so fast. We that's got all crazy. the latest scuttlebutt for you guys, and... Before we get to any of that, let's talk about the game. Where the hell was Chris Paul today? All right. But before, what happened? Before I get going on that, let me first say, on a positive note, shout out to Devin Booker. That's my favorite player in the NBA. And dude, he flat out balled tonight. I know he's been up and down these playoffs. Disappointing game a few nights ago. But the dude flat out filled it up tonight. And if I'm being honest, I'm not going to blame the officiating. It was freaking god awful both ways. But if that man wasn't in foul trouble, and I'm not going to be hard on him for it happening. He should have been out of the game earlier. Well, he should have. He should have for the sixth foul. But a couple of those leading up to that, you know, second, third, or fourth, they were there was some tacky stuff in there. And there was a lot of missed calls both ways. But that man just went nuts. And what he did in the third quarter, we deserve to win that game because of what he did. And the fact that Chris Paul couldn't get it done, dude, it's it's honestly embarrassing. Like, this might be the worst game of his career. I haven't seen him play a worse one for OKC or Phoenix all season long. I mean, he had as many turnovers as he did buckets. He was minus 10. Book and campaign were both even. You know, your other two ball handlers. You're supposed to be the veteran running the offense, leading things, getting to the mid-range, making the offense flow. And he was doing none of that tonight. I don't have the box score in front of me right now, but he was truly horrendous. The cutesy behind the back pass for a turnover. The little under the legs dribble yeah. trying to be putting someone on a hoop mixtape where he almost leads himself out of bounds and then just throws it away looking at nobody. Freaking terrible, man. Like he should honestly be embarrassed. And I'm glad that we had about 15 minutes for me to cool off before we got going <laughs> after the game or I would be talking absolutely freaking reckless right now. I mean, Chris Paul just looked lost out there. He must be hurt. His wrists that he said were banged up, like something's going on, or this was just a gutless performance and shows a complete lack of integrity and it factor. <laughs> I'm not kidding, it seemed, dude. It, it was it was honestly it was terrible. It was it, it looked like Ben Simmons. It did. He wasn't trying to get to his spots like he had been the first three games. And back on the turnover stuff. At the end of game two, the last couple minutes, he was making some absolutely careless passes. And to see that trickle into game four here on the road. It when looked you like could he was playing a, game 27 of the regular season on the road and right. was just bored. Yes. You had an opportunity to come out with a statement win, going back home to wrap this series up. They blew a huge opportunity here. 
The Bucks look legit. I don't know if you remember from a few episodes back, I said, you got to wait till guys become 27 years old. They'll eventually get over the hump. Giannis Antetokounmpo is doing exactly that. His time has finally come. I'm not saying they're going to win the series, but Giannis has achieved what we thought he could. This is borderline peak Giannis. I still think he has more to his game if he puts in the work in the offseason. Yeah, but he's, he's still frustrating he's done, to watch, but it's definitely a Giannis breaking out party. But I'm going to say one thing. What, what what the hell is the deal with the rest three minutes into the game? He's done it back-to-back nights. He's come out of the game nine at the nine-minute mark, three minutes in, and rested for multiple minutes. Like I don't understand that. He looked absolutely gassed both nights. I don't get it. I don't know if it's like a rest early to preserve yourself for late in the game. But it's got to be. Dude, it's it's three minutes in. Like, Can't you wait until like the six-minute mark at least? I don't get it. Because they got down early the last two games in large part because of that. I don't really understand the, the logic behind it, but I guess I can't criticize because they've won. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever weird Coach Bud strategy it is, I guess it's working for now, but whatever. He plays as hard as... He's probably the hardest playing superstar in the NBA. He's he's coming off the hyperextended knee. It's definitely Bud just managing him because he's going to bring it he the rest totally of the way. He, he looks, looks totally fine in the yeah. block on the alley oop to Aiden at the end of the game. Could have been a foul. If but they yes, win the series, nice if they win the series, that will be the play that gets flashed over and over. Turn the momentum of the series around. Kudos to the Bucks. They were better and going ahead. It's as simple as Chris Paul needs to be better. I really didn't. I, I mean, both teams played terrible tonight, in my opinion. Like, I wasn't impressed by the Bucks at all. I thought both teams were sloppy. I thought the officiating was sloppy and flat out just it outrageous was, yeah. both ways. It was really bad both ways. And then also, I thought the broadcast was pretty terrible. Mark Jackson was killing me, man. <laughs> I mean... I don't know who the hell, with all due respect, I don't know who the hell thought it was a good idea to give Mark Jackson an entire NBA final series. Like I know ESPN has the rights to the broadcast, but man, can we not mix up, you know, the commentating booth a little bit? Like throw throw Doris Burke in there one night or do something. Do something. <laughs> I don't have anything on that. <laughs> Nothing? Not even with all due respect? You don't have anything? I'm not the biggest fan. I, what I don't get is the three-person booth. I'm used to just the two guys. I know? like the TNT two-person. Yeah, the duo yeah. is a lot easier to just flow and go back and forth. Like If we're doing this with a third person right now, it's a whole lot more difficult to put out a good product than it is just going back and forth with two people. Right. Everyone needs to get their two cents. It's just a little too much. Mike Breen's great. Van Gundy is a fantastic uh, analyst. Yeah, and Mark Van, Jackson, Van Gundy is really good. As big of a pity party, negative Nancy yeah, as he can be, he's, he's too really negative. good at his job. He's too negative, but it is what it is. I'm I'm fine with it. We have a great series in the NBA Finals. Everyone was worried that it was going to be some dumpster fire without the Lakers or the Nets in here, and we're getting exactly what we want. This is going at least six games, so what else can you ask for? Man, I can ask for Chris Paul to show out a little bit. That's the other thing is everyone wanted to turn this into the Chris Paul show. And a lot of people, I feel like, overlooked Booker and even Aiton and Bridges and Cam Johnson and the guys that have been here building this culture. And Chris Paul's getting so much of the credit. And tonight he was the reason they did not win this game. If he even had an ounce of what he has showed the entire season up to this point, 
they win the game. I mean, when they pulled away in the third quarter and Book was going crazy, Chris Paul should have put it in cruise control in that fourth quarter and then taken off and hit that final gear as the game closed out like he's done all season long. I just don't get it. A gutless, gutless performance. Right. Whenever Booker came out with five, around 10 minutes left in the fourth, I was about to text you. This is the time for Chris to turn it on. Yep. Get his defining finals MVP moments. Make everyone forget about how shitty of a game he had had prior to that. He didn't do it. One thing I want to ask you, because it's been a huge factor uh, thus far, game two and game three, no Dario Saric. Yeah. Does that does that play any role in this game? Aiton didn't get into as much foul trouble. I thought he was fine. It does absolutely because you can go small with Saric and give Aiton plenty of rest and not feel as obligated to keep him out there. And you have Saric and then Crowder, Cam Johnson out there with him, and you can do all of the things that you could do with Aiton. You know, Saric plays like a center. He's a few inches smaller and he can go bang with Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez and there's not going to be mismatch problems where they get a post up and it's just an obvious dunk because no one's big enough to even contest when they catch it in the paint. You can avoid that situation. And I know offensively, sometimes you can go small and, you know, having maybe Crowder and Cam out there as your five and your four going really small could get you some more three balls and more looks that way. But like Dario can knock down the three, two and he can put it. He can put it on the glass. He can dribble a little bit. Um, He's he's solid, man. It, it sucks missing him. He's more important than a lot of people would think. I personally think that's going to be their biggest need this offseason. Get a true backup center. Sorry, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Up. We had the the 10th pick last year and we could have added uh could have added someone who would actually be helping us right now. But, you know, given all all things, that's <laughs> my only one complaint. Okay. Well, I took a look at the list of free agents this offseason and to contextualize it, the Suns have 125 million under contract going into the offseason. So But you have Chris Paul's option. So if he declines the, the option, you know, you get a little bit of room to sprinkle some dough out to other guys and then bring Chris Paul back and go into the luxury tax. It's a $44 million option. People think he might restructure that 33 35 mil a year for three years i think that's the best case scenario especially if he wants to win a ring or another ring we'll see how this series plays out absolutely uh he yeah we'll see i'm gonna bite my tongue right okay. now. okay because he's been really good this year if but you're dude, about to say they shouldn't bring him back stop okay. i'm gonna say i wouldn't i wouldn't be devastated if they didn't and no. it would really just be Book's shut team. Up. shut up we'll see how the series plays out Everyone just turned it off because that was the worst no. take you've ever said on this no, show. No, man. I'm, I'm really happy for what he's done, and he's been awesome. But, I mean, three years of him, at some point, you're going to have some diminishing returns. And you know that, signing that contract. This is like a, we won the championship. We're going to extend you for three years and pay you 25, 30 mil for these three years. Like We're, we're going to give you a nice little send-off contract that Miami didn't do with Dwayne Wade and like the Lakers did for Kobe. I feel like it's going to be a contract like that. And yes. sometimes that can hurt you in the long run. Yes, I, I don't know how many more years Chris Paul has left. He's the reason why they're there. And if he walks, part, they're not getting back. I don't care what reason. you say. Yeah. He's not the only without reason. him. They are not here. It is plain and simple. No, we're not in the finals without him, but we still would have been in the playoffs. We could have been a scary team. Like well, we're not going to be in the finals. Shit? 
we're young. We got a lot of room for growth. Look at the improvement from last year to this year with our young guys. Look at Cam Johnson. Look at Mikel Bridges. Look at Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. All of these guys are 25 or under. You're in the finals and you're telling me you don't care because the future is bright? The future's been bright for the last five years. You got Chris Paul and he got you to the finals. You're bringing him back and here's Devin who you Booker can... Booker and Chris Paul got us to the finals. This is what I get sick of. Everyone attributes everything to Chris Paul and it's not all Chris Paul. Look at tonight. Not It's not always a Chris Paul show. Like There are studs on this team. Devin Booker is more important to this team than Chris Paul. At least from an on-the-court standpoint. Sure, Chris Paul's taught them a lot of stuff. He's mentally he's mentally brought them up to another level. But they're going to keep that. It's not like Chris Paul disappears and all of a sudden they're going to forget how to carry, you know, carry about their business and win basketball games. Like he's going to have rubbed off on them and it's going to stick with them. Like they're not going to forget the stuff he taught them just because he leaves. Whatever they got you out in Cali, I need some of that because what are they doing if Chris Paul walks? They're going to have cap space and a lot of really solid young players. And they're not getting back to the finals anytime soon. Okay. I mean, whatever I, you say, whatever I you say, a list of options at backup center, but you took this a whole nother direction. I don't even know if I want to go there anymore. <laughs> Fire them away. Let's hear them. We'll have plenty of money to spend if he doesn't come back. We we could get a cream of the crop big man here. Well, you have a center who's about to get a max after next season. Yeah. But I mean, anyways, we're going into the luxury tax at that point anyway. Guys who could help next year if Chris Paul restructures. Robin Lopez, Daniel Tice. If any of these you think would actually make a difference, let me know. Lopez right now would. I mean, giving him 10 just energy minutes to give eight in the blow, come out I there, think so. fight hard in the paint, do his goofy little jump hooks that are weirdly effective. Yeah, I'd be on board with it. Nerland's Noel, I think, would be a home run. Yeah, absolutely. And then the rest of the short list, JaVale, Bismack Biombo, Dwight Howard. I think Dwight would come in and ruin that chemistry. I was going to say no Dwight Howard. Absolutely not. <laughs> I would not want to deal with the Chris Paul, Dwight Howard drama. Okay, and then the more realistic option is not paying any of these guys and building through the draft with the 29th pick. It's the only pick the Suns have this year, and I have three perfect options for you to choose from here. Okay. All right. One of them is Jericho Sims. All right, one of them is Jericho Sims. (laughs) Let's go. He is a draft riser, which is what we're about to get into next. We saw him put his head above the rim in that clutch workout. He had a really good combine performance, flashed an ability to hit a floater out of the pick and roll. His rim running ability and rim protection would be fantastic with Chris and Devin Booker, in my opinion. I think 29 might be a little higher than most people expect. I think he he could help us right now, man. I would do it. Between him and Jalen Smith, one of them surely would be able to be that backup big. And I I know Jalen Smith probably has a little bit more of the three ball in his bag, but I think Jericho Sims could throw that jump shot out there and at least be knocking down elbow jumpers. Like I would be totally content with Sims at 29. He's he's never shown that ability before. He's a 52% career free throw shooter, so that might be asking a little much. Other two options I have Dayron Sharp. He's got good touch around the rim. He does. Dayron Sharp out of North Carolina, 
big, great rebounder, really good passer. And then Nemius Keita, Utah State. I think this is the best option here. All right, well, tell me more because I know the least about him. I'm not huge on Sharp. I mean, he would be okay, but I don't think I don't think he's ever really going to be much more than a five or ten minutes a night guy in yeah. the, the right situation. Well, he Sharp was a one-and-done. Keita has multiple years of experience. He's a true seven-footer, put up 15 and 10, 3.3 blocks a game last year for Utah State. Maybe the best player in the conference. I think he's the perfect guy to come in behind Aiton. If they get back to the finals, you could see Giannis again. You could potentially see Joel Embiid, one of these monsters, and you're going to need another body. Like? Can he stretch it out a little bit, or is he more of nah, like an old school? He's not a shooter, but he's he's got real value. All right, well, what's his free throw percentage? The free throw percentage... 70.7 last season. Okay. That's pretty 65 on the career. There it is. Not bad. Better than Jericho Sims. <laughs> Better than Jericho Sims, a major draft riser. Let's get into it. Yes, sir. So was Sims one of your risers that you'd brought to the table? or No, he was an honorable mention for me. So what we're doing here, okay. we've each got three draft risers three draft fallers. I couldn't actually get to three because there's more risers than there are fallers. Guys went to the combine, yeah. balled out, and are shooting up the board a little bit. It's it's more what they did than what others, than not what others didn't do is what I'm trying to say. So <laughs> how do you want to start this? Risers or fallers first? Uh, let's go with fallers first. And I've actually got three and one of them, we'll start with him, Jared Butler. This is for medical reasons. They're still not the all clear on him yet. He had a heart condition that was caught in the pre-draft process. And from what I understand, it's somewhat in the ballpark of a Chris Bosh type situation. Maybe. Yikes. So fingers crossed, he's going to get the all clear. And if he does, you will see him start to fly back up mocks into probably the mid to late teens is where I expect him to go. But right now, I mean, he's late 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 first round like he's pushing 30 he's not even on some big boards in the first round anymore so jared butler is one that hopefully we will get uh get good news on here in the next two weeks yeah I, we've been saying all along he's someone who could come into new york or atlanta play a good role for them that late first guy maybe even the lakers uh john hollinger put out his top 70 today and guess where he had him Man, it's Hollinger. You could tell me 12. You could tell me 55. 11. Wow. I was, wow. I was, well, that goes to tell you stunned. what some people think about him if he gets the all clear, man. Right. And if it's that, if it's a Chris Bosch situation, I'm sorry. I, I wouldn't draft him. I just wouldn't do it. It's one thing if it's a bowl, bowl foot type of deal or MPJ back type of deal. But if, yeah, man, it's I, a I don't heart, know on that. I don't I don't even know how you approach that. All right. Well, I, I assume Butler. let's hope it let's hope it all gets sorted out and he's all systems go in the league. Yeah, man, I assume they'll get this sorted out before the draft because that's just flat out not fair if they don't. Right. All right. My first faller. This one was a bit surprising, but whenever I did my homework on him, it made a lot more sense. Cam Thomas out of LSU. 6'4 guard, 
led all freshmen in the NCAA in scoring with 23 a game. He can score. He is Lou Will Jamal Crawford incarnate. That's his mold. He shot 88% from the line, just 32.5% from three, but that free throw percentage bodes really well for him going forward. He took a lot of tough shots. I think that's, you know, that's that's just a style of play more than anything. But the reason he's fallen from possibly late teens to maybe early second round is because he did not participate in the combine whatsoever. Ah, no athletic testing, no measurements, no interviews. It sounds like a risk to me, but the one thing I'm thinking is maybe he got a promise. Yeah, that would make sense because I don't know why you wouldn't unless your measurables are just not going to be great and you've done interview prep and it's gone absolutely horribly. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't at least talk to teams and try and sell yourself a little bit unless, like you said, you got a promise. If OKC took him with one of their... If with one of the 16 or 18 picks, I'd be pretty thrilled with that, honestly. That wouldn't surprise me a ton. I heard a while ago that supposedly they promised Isaiah Jackson, but right. who knows? I, I've heard the same. Hopefully that would be with 16 or 18 and not six. Yeah, another option. Houston has two first-round picks. I could see, or three, that's where, actually. That's I where see I see that him going. Out. Yep. That's where I see him going. I think I've actually got him mocked there right now in my ongoing one that I keep. But my next faller is Alperin Singun. Shingun, however the heck you say it. He's someone that was getting a lot of high. Why is he a faller? Is this info or is this your board? No, I think this is more of what's happened with the playoffs. I think we've seen that bigs have to be able to to be able to switch on to anyone. I mean, if you can't stay on the floor because of what you are defensively, you can't play in the playoffs. And you watch his tape, and he is not someone that flashes any ability to be able to switch on to perimeter guys in the NBA anytime soon. And so I think a lot of teams are going to have the approach of, why would we take this guy with a lottery pick or even a pick in the mid to late teens if we're never going to be able to play him in the playoffs, or at least not in the first two or three years? And also the lack of the three ball. I know fundamentally his jump shot looks okay, but he shot it at like 17% from three overseas. So I, I just don't think there's enough reason for him to really go that early in the first round because he just looks like Enos Cantor 2.0. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. And I've seen some people project him as a Kevin Love type. I don't think so. He's not that athletic and doesn't hit the glass in the same way. I mean, he is athletic, but not like the way Kevin Love was in Minnesota in the beginning of his career. Like, he was a beast. Well, the thing is, yes, he shot 17%, but he really didn't shoot it. So the sample size is too small to really come away with anything. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I do think he's really, really good around the rim. Skilled. He'll find a way to fill it up down there. But you make a great point, and I'm, I totally buy it. After what we've seen, people are just going to hunt you nonstop. Look at Bobby Portis tonight. I mean, Phoenix was running all kinds of screening action on and off ball. They were even running double screens at one time just so they could get Bobby Portis switched on to Devin Booker and go ISO. We're on the same page, so where would you put him now? Man, I would put him probably in the 20s. Really? Early 20s, yeah. 
I wouldn't be surprised if OKC at 16 or 18 takes him, though. That's a, a hot point of conversation on a lot of different places that I've seen. His draft range is getting bigger and bigger as we near the draft. All right. Mm-hmm. My second and final faller, because I'm trying to be positive here, Luca Garza. This, uh, this one's a bit surprising. Um, he was the worst athlete at the combine. Plain and simple. Yeah. Just tough, but true. Couldn't jump. Super slow. And he got hurt prior to the five-on-five stuff, so he really couldn't showcase his abilities there either. He's been working really hard since the season ended to cut weight, and I think that's impressed some scouts. He's also been working on his range. So those two things are overwhelmingly positive, but we saw his limitations in college. I think he's very back into the second round, most likely, or a guaranteed two-way guy. Yeah, I think he's mid to late second round. Someone will take a flyer on him, though. I mean, we just saw Jokic win MVP playing similar to the way Luka Garza played in college. Like, It's not completely unrealistic to think this guy could actually figure it out and get to the point where he can move move at least laterally semi-okay enough to stay in the game and not just get absolutely cooked every time he's out there. The thing with Jokic is that passing, though. Right. And Garza has a little bit of that, but clearly not Jokic level. <laughs> clearly. All right, let's go to the other side. Give me your first riser. Oh, I actually had one more follow. Oh, you did? Here. Okay. It, yeah, nothing crazy, though. It's Kaminga. He was someone that was ah. thought to be universally in the top five, and now as Scotty Barnes' stock has just skyrocketed, Barnes will go four or five, and that's going to mean Kaminga falls to six most likely, and potentially even seven, because OKC has a history of doing some wacky stuff and just taking whoever their guy is, no matter what the spot is. So, you know, we, we saw them take a major flyer last year on Poku. No telling. I've even seen that there's a chance we take a flyer on another one of my guys, which I guess this is a good time to transition wait, to my wait, risers. Wait. Yeah. On Kaminga. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. He was then working out for the Cavaliers either today or tomorrow. I saw and I don't think that they would take him at three, quite frankly. No, so I bet it's in case they trade down and OKC hits him with an offer they can't refuse. Right. I think it's OKC trading up or potentially the Magic moving up. Or maybe... Yeah, I would agree. Hell, what about the Warriors? They're still such a dark horse, They're, man. <laughs> as soon as the season ends and they can officially start making moves, it's going to be quite interesting i mean what happens with Ubre? are they gonna are they gonna trade wiseman are they gonna hold on to the both their picks because they could package them and move up you know they could very well be one of the teams that's on the phone with the Cavs. they could be trading for colin sexton i mean there's literally no telling do you like that hypothetical siakam trade that's been floating around it's yeah i, be, I, I think, think it'd it's be pretty wiseman good. seven and 14 for siakam which it feels like a lot to me I think Wiggins is actually in there as well to make the money. Ah, uh, okay. Wiggins, Wiseman, seven and fourteen. I do it if I'm the Warriors. You can make Siakam your center. Play Siakam and Draymond. You're totally big enough. You got Steph, Clay, and you could even re-sign Ubre. I think I'd do it too. It's be pretty darn, pretty There's, darn good. It's no and guarantee, I guarantee those they'll, picks they'll are... pick up a free agent or two. They'll get a couple veteran minimum guys oh, that know sure. the Warriors are going to be back on their stuff this year. Absolutely. All right, switch it over for me. Yeah. So my first riser, who is right now 
creeping into the picture, potentially going to go number six to Oklahoma City. That's Book Night. Book Night oh. out of UConn. Combo guard, absolute freak. I've got him as a mix of two former OKC guards, Russell Westbrook and Cameron Payne. That is what I see when I watch him, and you get a little <laughs> bit of both sometimes. No, hear me out. There are some I, I moments where he it. has a little campaign in him, but he's got that freak Westbrook athleticism where he can flip the switch and just do some nasty, nasty stuff. Teams love him. And Ryan Russillo, I got to give credit, he's been on him forever. I mean, he said on the record for months now, every time I talk to a team, they rave about book night, and they're like, I don't know how this guy's mocked to go late first round. He's going to go in the lottery for sure. And now we're seeing them in the conversation at six and seven. I mean, there's a real shot. OKC takes them at six or the Warriors take them at seven if they stay there. I'm having a really hard time getting a grip on book night. Um, but sorry if I'm repeating myself. He only took nine uncontested jumpers all season. And what? Yes, I have not heard that. Yeah, yeah. Nine uncontested jumpers. How is that even possible? The big He just didn't shoot open shots. I guess he would look for driving lanes every time he caught it in space and someone was closing out on him. Or they just don't have creators in that offense. Or that system uh, didn't okay, okay. cater to making open looks for him. But you know, if he was playing in Golden State, that's not going to be an issue. The the shot is Good the point. swing skill for him. I still have him more back of the lottery, but I would not be stunned at all if he went as high as seven. Yeah, I've got him at 13 right now on my mock just because I can't make myself do it yet, but I'm going to have to move him up. And another point with the Warriors thing, people knocked his passing. He didn't put up a ton of assists, but if you put him in that Golden State offense where he can just get in the lane with that freak athleticism, he's going to finish every single time if there's no help. He can beat people off the dribble that frequently. So anytime you send help, he's going to be looking for Steph and Clay. So if you give him the option to just penetrate and throw the ball anywhere close to the vicinity of Steph Curry, you're going to pick up a lot of assists. So that could that could kind of develop his playmaking and kickstart it, just being in that offense. Absolutely. All right. I want to go with another very polarizing guy with elite athleticism. All right. Keon Johnson is a riser right now. Mm, is he? He is. Tell me why. The intel I've received is that at the CAA workouts, Keon Johnson and Davion Mitchell were standouts. Keon Johnson, apparently super, super hard worker. He was late to the game. He he hasn't been playing it his whole life, so he's still developing that natural IQ. Oh, I thought you were saying he literally showed up late to one of the games. No, say, oh, that's he's not, a not good Time Lord 2.0. <laughs> um, but no, he he really showed out in these workouts. The jumper wasn't really there at Tennessee, but Tennessee's offense was damn near horrific. Very clogged up, didn't create a lot of good looks for him. He did most of his damage off the dribble, and that's one thing that's going to translate to the next level. He's going to be able to get his own shot and shoot over anybody. Uh, okay, but where do you see him going right now? Because I feel like months ago he was anywhere from like six to 15 and he's still in that range. So yes, all season long until probably May, June, he was surefire top 10. And then as we've gotten a little closer, he's trickled back, you know, maybe 
late teens, anywhere from late lottery to late teens. That's where I've got him. After these workouts, I really do think he's going to go probably top 12. So who goes higher, him or Davion Mitchell? Because that's been, for whatever reason, a very highly debated topic. You got Keon Johnson, who's the young guy with all the potential, and Davion's the old, sure thing. If Davion doesn't go seven to Golden State, I think he falls and Keon Johnson goes higher. Really? Yeah. You don't think one of those teams like the Magic would just take him? Like, holy cow, this is a surefire guy who will come in and contribute, be right for the culture, going to make everyone else better. Like, one of those teams that's just sucked forever wouldn't take a chance on him? No, because at five, I think the Magic, as as long as they don't get Kaminga, I think they're going to get someone who's going to pan out really well. And what about their second pick? They're like, what, five and 11 or five five and and eight. eight or nine? What about an eight? Because I feel like at eight, that just makes a lot of sense. It doesn't when you look at their roster, though, with Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Markel Fultz. If they get Suggs or Green. All right, well, I don't know if Fultz is even going to come back. What do you they, mean? I mean, they're, they're stacked everywhere. good before getting hurt. Oh, that's what I mean. He got hurt again. Like, can you really count on him being there to the point where you yes. wouldn't draft another guard? Because, I mean, you've also got Jonathan Isaac. You've got Chuma Okiki. You've got, I mean, you traded for Wendell Carter. You still got Mo Bamba there. Like, there are a lot of different pieces that are still there. Like, there's guys everywhere, you know? Wouldn't you just take a guy that you know is actually going to be good? If I'm the Magic, I'm going upside. Especially because, I'm telling you, they're going to hit that fifth pick. It's going to be hard to screw up. So go go high upside with that fifth pick, and then no, just get your sure thing with Davion at eight, man. I... If you could walk away from this draft with like, shoot, I don't, I mean, who who do you think will be there at five? You think they'll get Scotty Barnes or Kaminga probably? At five? I guess I, uh, yeah. Kaminga's going to fall. I think because if mm, Barnes would be good, Suggs or Green, I think they'd take one of those three guys. Yeah. Obviously, if they go Suggs or Green, they wouldn't go Mitchell then, but that, that makes sense. I think it probably will be. It'll probably be Suggs or Scotty Barnes there in all reality. The guy they take at eight is Moses Moody, and the floor is now yours. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Moses Moody, obviously, my next riser. And he's someone that's gone from mid to late lottery to looking like he's going to be top eight or nine. Potentially for sure. even six. Yeah, potentially even six, and I would be totally on board. He's got an absolutely freakish wingspan. I'm sure a lot of people saw the picture on Twitter where he's standing in the door frame, kind of like arms tilted vertically, and he's literally as long as the entire freaking doorway. It's pretty crazy. If you haven't seen it, go look at it. The human and selfie stick. Yeah, that's what his mom called him. There's one stat that really caught my eye more than anything with him because when I watched him play, and granted, a lot of what I saw was in the tournament with Arkansas. I didn't religiously watch them last season, but he struck me as more of a scorer and not someone that was really a defender. And he held opponents to 32% shooting when he was the primary defender last year and forced a turnover on 14% of possessions. That's pretty freaking crazy. That's pretty freaking crazy, man. Like that, that to me qualifies him as a real two-way guy, like a real, not even three and D because he can dribble it too. Like he is a real, real two-way dude with no holes in his game. I mean, he didn't ball out in the tournament in those big games, but like, let's not overreact to a couple games when he was 18 or 19 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. 
high pedigree, another Montverde guy, played with Scotty Barnes and Cade Cunningham. It's no wonder that team didn't lose a game in high school. I I really think he's going to come in, play his role. I think he's a bit of a cross between Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges, if we're being honest. Don't don't think he has that off the dribble, attacking the basket, elevating and finishing type of ability that Mikhail has. Not quite, but I think he is a good mix of them too, with maybe even a little bit more potential. Possibly more shooting potential. Well, that's hard to say. Not true shooting, but off the dribble. Yeah, I think he's a little, little bit more of a natural playmaker for himself. Right. Whereas a lot of times Bridges can do it. He can put on the deck, and Cam can too a little. But they're more catch and shoot guys. You're gonna look, look and see them in the corners knocking down stuff. Whereas Moody could be on the wing, kind of almost Bradley Beal like creation for himself at times. Not ever going to be an all star, I don't think. But you're drafting a guy who you know is going to come in. In two or three years, you're going to be able to rely on him. He's going to be able to switch on the two and the three and play in your starting five, maybe a fourth guy on a championship team. I'm going to push back on the all-star thing. I think he could have a year or two where he is because Chris Middleton was an all-star. And (laughs) when I look at their games, I think they're slightly comparable and he could be as good as Middleton. Not like throwing shade at Middleton. I mean, he's solid. He put up 30 plus tonight. But I think Moody does have that potential. I could see him getting an all-star appearance or maybe two or three. I like that pushback. SEC right. Rookie of the Year, all freshman, all conference. And no one says a bad thing about him. Like, you can't find anyone that has a story or any red flag or concern with this dude. Like, he just looks solid all the way around. But hit me with your next riser here. Who do you got? All right. I'm going to go a little bit lower on the board. Trey Murphy the third out of Virginia. Yeah, I've started to see his name in the late first round a lot. Yes, he has been relatively unknown for most. He played two years at Rice and then transferred to Virginia last year where he shot 50, 43, and 92.7% from the line. I would say that's pretty good. That's a that's pretty a little 50, 40, 90 action. That's pretty solid. Yep. He's about... Don't see that in college very often. He's 6'8", 6'9", in shoes. High IQ player. If he can start for Virginia and make an impact, you know he's going to be able to translate. We've seen DeAndre Hunter excel in the league. Malcolm Brogdon as well. Malcolm Brogdon. Justin Anderson didn't quite make it, but he's not as close. He's not close to the level of shooter that Trey Murphy is. He's another guy who I think will come in in a few years. You'll see him. The league is always hungry for this type of player. He's just going to come in, do his job, defend, and shoot the ball I mean, at a high level. If you can knock down open jump shots, you will play. So, yeah, I like it. Draft range, he went from early second to late first, and now he's getting looks even as high as 15. So I'm expecting him to go somewhere between really? 15 to 25. All right. I'll have to adjust accordingly on my mock that I've got on going right now. All right. Who you got next? My last guy, I've been big on him. You were a hater. I hope you've come around. It's, it's Miles McBride. Oh, I yeah. watched him All play right. a lot this season. And he's someone that's gone from mid to late second round, not even on a lot of guys' top 50 big boards or seen in any first rounds of mocks. Now he's going mid to late 20s, some mocks even early 20s. And I'm calling it right now. 
He's someone that's going to get rumors of creeping up into the lottery and potentially even going late lottery. I could see a team taking him 12, 13, or 14 potentially because this is a guy that's got elite defense. I mean, he's got all defensive team potential, all right? He's got triple-double potential. He's a good passer. A lot of games where he had seven or eight assists in college, playing in the Big 12 at the highest level, and he shoots the three ball over 40% last season. And on top of that, the assist-to-turnover ratio is almost at three. There is no hole in this guy's game. You cannot expose him in any way. He can do it all. He's got high energy. You know he was a freak athlete, quarterback in, uh, quarterback in high school, had a ton of offers to play quarterback in college. He is the real deal. I think he's someone that he could come in right away and play 25, 30 minutes a night and hold his own. Javon Carter with an offensive game. Yes, Javon Carter on steroids. <laughs> well, and the other thing that has really stood out with him his measurables. He had a six nine wingspan at the combine for a six two player. What, six four? Oh, six two. Wow. Yeah. I thought he had a little more, a little more height than that. But still, that wingspan is freaking insane. That's awesome. That that will do it for your draft stock. I mean, he was checked. He checked all the boxes. An on ball defender, a guy who can get his own shot, a guy who can shoot the three, attack the basket, and you pointed out the assist to turnover ratio. That was the icing on the cake. I've come around on him. Him, He seems like a high floor guy can come in and help out immediately. Yeah, I'm to the point now where not quite like Davion Mitchell category, but I think he's close. Like he is one of the most complete ready to help a team right now prospects in this draft. I love it. I'm excited to see where he goes. Me too, man. Me too. What is the last riser that you've got or who is the last riser that you've got? I should say. All right. This is out of left field for probably every single person listening to this. Vrenz Bleisenberg. Six, That's out of left field for me. Yeah. 6'10 no wing out of Belgium. Played for Antwerp. So Chad Ford, who's been doing this longer than anyone, the OG draft guy, says his range is probably 25 to 40. But... Based on talent alone, he's a top 20 guy. That So you're telling me this could be the Pokasevsky of this year's draft? Absolutely. He's already had a workout with OKC. He's, Go figure. He's good friends with Vit Krejci, who OKC drafted in the second round last year um, via the one of the picks they got from the Sixers trade. So this just naturally sounds like it'll be the OKC pick at 16 or 18 then. That might be a little high. I don't think other teams value him quite that high. But if Presti does, he'll do it. I mean, we saw it last year with Poku. I don't think anybody else was going to take him anywhere, anywhere freaking near where we did. <laughs> so I, I see what you're saying, but my alternative would be package 35 and 36, move up a few spots, take him there. Yeah. We have yeah. OKC has six picks in this draft. They are not going to leave on draft night with six rookies. Chalk that up. It's not happening. I would like to agree with you on that. Okay. So okay, I'm on board. I didn't say anything I'm about his game, by the way. Oh, let, let's hear some more then. I'm, I mean, it's it's the Poku of this draft. Like <laughs> I don't is. even know. I don't think I need to hear about it his is. game. He's six ten. He can put the ball on the floor. He can pass. Sounds He's super really lanky. Can shoot the three. Pretty lanky. He's actually, I think, a better three point shooter than Poku was at the time. Slander, no such thing. But there it is. I mean, 
Okay. If OKC I'll does have it, to watch a little tape. Don't be shocked. I'll have to get my hands on some. Right. Is there a lot of tape on them, or is it like weird stuff in B League empty gyms? You like can it was find with it. Poku? You can find okay. it. Um, okay. Listen to an interview with him today. He didn't have a lot of interviews scheduled, but he came to OKC. There was a big event held by the T Wolves and somebody else over from the eighth to the eleventh of the month, I believe. He's got fourteen total workouts now. So oh, wow. all these teams are interested in the man. Don't be surprised if he goes first round. Vrenz Bleisenberg. Just look at the boards and pick out the guy from Belgium. That's it. Could you spell his first name at least so people know what to search? And by people, I mean me. V-R-E-N-Z. V-R-E-N-Z. Okay. That's not that complicated. I... A little fantasy action. Time to switch it up. Get ready for some football here. Let's do it. I'm pumped. Dude, me too, but 10 a.m. kickoff for me. That is the weirdest thing. Like oh. all I've known my whole life is noon kickoff. Wow. I'm still trying to like get my feet in the water on like how that's gonna be. Cause 10 a.m. kickoff, man, that just sounds like blasphemous almost. It's noon kickoff, you know? Like it's just noon kickoff. Can I ask you what you did prior to noon kickoffs? When did you get out of bed? Uh, well, that was usually my hangover day well, this, for a while. Let's be, let's put the timeline out. You were in college for most of this time. Yes, and last year during this time, I was definitely having some late nights with my roommate. So <laughs> usually I'd wake up about eleven. I would, uh, you know, hit the recovery a little bit, get up and around, drink some water, you know, do all that good stuff to get rid of the hangover, and food, then maybe yes, food. And then I would look at all the spreads, check my fantasy lineups, make sure I was good to go before kickoff. Then you throw that red zone on with about five minutes left and you let that countdown and epic music just get you in the mood. Then Hanson comes in and boom, you're off right at noon. So you're in trouble because you're going to have to get up a little earlier to check the spreads, make sure your lineups are set. And one other question. This might be really stupid. But I'm, I'm older now. I'm more mature. I'm, I'm turning a page, Peter. I'm you not going to be going out as much and have as many late nights. Plus, I'm still kind of on that Oklahoma time a little bit. Like It's, it's a little late for me right now. You know? <laughs> so I had never really been. I haven't been out west that much. Been to Vegas before. Went to Arizona in April. And yeah. my goodness, it was so easy to wake up early there just because there wasn't a cloud in the sky and it was sunny by 6 a.m. every day. Is yes. that the case for you in San Diego? Because if it is, you're going to have no problem. Yeah. yeah, I wake up a lot pretty early and it really doesn't bother me that much because it's like sun's up. I'm just naturally kind of up and at them. And I rationalize it as like, ah, it's eight here, you know, like it's 10 back in Tulsa, like time to get up. Right. All right, so we got a game for you guys. Fantasy stock market. We took the average draft position of 10 different players, and we're going to go through and evaluate whether or not they're a good buy. So, yeah, and we picked these guys for each other. So, yes, we got to kind of selfishly throw uh throw the other some names that we were interested in and wanted to get their take on. So, all five guys that Peter's going to hit on, I specifically gave to him. All right. So I got the first one. We're going in order of ADP. I got Aaron Jones. He's 13th. And by the way, our ADP is a mix of five different websites, all averaged out. So whether you play ESPN. It's the average. It's, it's the AADP. Average, average draft position. Yeah, there you go. All right. So Aaron Jones, 13. 
He's going as the RB10. Why did you assign him to me, first off? Because I personally don't know what to think about him. I don't really trust him for whatever reason. I don't know if it's him just always seeming like he's kind of got the lingering injuries or what, but he he seems like he should be a top 10 running back, but I just can't make myself evaluate him as that. And I wanted to see if you were on the same page. Okay. So he finished as RB5 last year, led me to a title. He's going, yeah, as, damn good season. going as RB10 in 21. And for me, this one is pretty simple. If Rodgers comes back, he's worth taking. If Rodgers is there, go ahead and take him in the second round. That's a very safe pick. He can be an RB1. If you get an RB1 in the second round, good for you, right? Yeah, I mean, the pass-catching ability with Rodgers there, that that's huge, dude. The fact that he is at least capable of catching some stuff out of the backfield and you're not limited to the point where you've got to bring in a third down back. He can stay on the field. He, he definitely gets some freebies from old A-Rod. Yeah, that's a good outcome. And the other thing is Jamal Williams, who he split drives with last year. There, At times. There'll be many times where... Aaron Jones wouldn't even be out there for a whole entire possession. Jamal Williams is in Detroit now, and Aaron Jones just got a long-term deal. He's their guy. Am I saying that A.J. Dillon isn't going to play any kind of role? No. I was going to say, if you take him, you might as well handcuff with A.J. Dillon just to be safe. You should handcuff him with A.J. Dillon. He will play a role. But... We've seen how productive this guy can be. He scores a lot of touchdowns, especially in the red zone. And the other thing is, if we don't know about the Rodgers situation, I'd stay away and I'd draft one of these guys from this list. Cam Akers. Okay. Najee Harris. Going to be a volume monster. Antonio Gibson. That dude is explosive as it gets. And Joe Mixon. I would highly consider taking one of those guys over Aaron Jones if we are uncertain like about the Aaron Rodgers situation. Okay. I'm hoping that we'll we'll at least have a pretty significant answer from Rodgers at least two, three weeks out. You know, come draft time, like surely we're going to know and he's at least going to be pretty locked in or surely leaning that way i don't know dude I, I don't know what to make of it anymore anyway first guy i got here michael thomas was kind of surprised to see his adp's 28 he's wide receiver nine and it's just too low for me it is way too freaking low and one thing to keep in mind sure he was injured last year so let's just kind of throw it out but Jameis Winston threw for 5,100 yards and 33 touchdowns the last time he was a starting quarterback. Okay, I know this is not going to be the Tampa Bay offense, but it's also not going to be the Drew Brees dink and dunk offense either. Sean Payton is a smart enough guy to build toward what he has. He's going to tailor this offense to Jameis's arm, and Michael Thomas is not just going to be running slants every single snap. He's going to get a lot more variety in his routes, and he's going to catch some deep balls, and I think it's going to be great for his game. He's someone that will be a top five wide receiver. I take him second round. I think he's an awesome, awesome get in the third round if he's undervalued there. is what you're saying. Very much undervalued. I think his ADP is way too low. I'm buying Michael Thomas stock. Okay. I asked because he scares me a lot. I drafted him first round last year. 
had zero chance in that league because of the injuries. But prior to that, he had three straight seasons of 100 exactly. plus catches. Exactly. He has never been an injury plagued guy. He had one bad year. Yeah. And I think that injury was pretty significant. He tried to play through it a few times, but they probably should have shut him down even earlier. Um, yeah. If they weren't Super Bowl aspirations, they absolutely would have shut him down. You're selling me a little bit. Uh, and the other thing is, who is he competing with for targets? Mm hmm. Exactly. The answer is Alvin Kamara, and that's pretty much it. You're going to see some Marquez Callaway, Traquan Smith, some other people. Yeah, they've got some in. of those young guys. But when you look at what he had in Tampa Bay, and yes, obviously you have more weapons and higher quality of receivers across the board. So sure, that's going to help with your numbers combined with the fact that you have no defense. But look at the numbers that Evans and Godwin put up. I mean, even if Michael Thomas puts up what either of them had, he's still going to be probably a top five or top six wide receiver. All right. There's a case for Michael Thomas. Absolutely. When Jameis throws the ball, interesting stuff happens. A lot of action. So Let's just hope he can I, hit him accurately because that was a big thing for I him and Drew. Okay. His eyes are fixed. His eyes are fixed, man. He's fine. Uh, who you got for uh, your next guy here? All right. I got DK Metcalf. Thanks for kicking him over to me his adp yes, is 19 he's going as wide receiver five finished as wide receiver five last year and i think if you get him second round bravo you've done a great job and that pick is even better if you get a running back in round one i agree i think if you do take him second round you really do need to go rb round one yes let's be clear on that that would that will put you in great position going forward in the rest of your draft. He's just too good. He, yep. He surpassed, if he's healthy, he is going to contribute a lot. He surpassed Tyler Lockett for target share last year. He's he's got the upside to get into that first tier receiver with Tyreek, Devontae, Stephon Diggs, and DeAndre Hopkins. I really think so. We know he's well, the other thing with him is He's a dual threat in the sense of most top tier receivers. They're either a speedster or they're a physical 50-50 ball, go up and get it type guy. You know, you have your Julio Jones, the 50-50 balls, and then you have your Tyreek Hills, your Stefan Diggs, those type of guys. DK Metcalf is the best of both worlds and really freaking good on both ends. Like even if he just had the speed or just had the physicality, he would still be a really good NFL wide receiver. Yeah, he can go up and get it in the red zone. He can take a quick slant 70 yards to the house. He can catch a rainbow 60 yards down the field for a touchdown. He's a one play a game to get you enough kind of to get you enough points kind of guy. And we know he's going to get a lot of volume from Russell Wilson. The other thing is Shane Waldron is their new offensive coordinator coming over from the Los Angeles Rams. I think they're going to be a bit more innovative, keep throwing the ball. We're going to see some play action, and DK is going to be a menace coming over the top in that play action game. I, I love him second round. I bet we see some end rounds and stuff like that for him too. I mean, they're they're really going to get him involved because mm. he's just a freaking beast, man. Good things happen when the ball's in his hands. All right, your next guy. Second guy here, Miles Gaskin. Little Dolphins action. 47th overall right now, RB22. That's where he's going, ADP. 
I think it's too high. And let me say why. I liked what he did last season, but Miami's going to go with the hot hand. It wasn't like they had a ton of guys who were really balling out. Jordan Howard was pretty pathetic. Matt Breida didn't do hardly anything in the time he got. I mean, he would get snaps and just be completely lackluster. Gaskin was the only one who produced. Going into next season, Malcolm Brown is there, and they also drafted Dokes at the end of the draft out of Cincinnati. I think either of them could end up getting a good amount of carries, and this might just be more of a timeshare and running back by committee than it really is going to be Gaskin's job. So I don't think I would take Gaskins in the fourth or fifth round, maybe sixth or seventh if I was needing some running backs or really trying to stack up on that position. But I, I think I'm probably staying away from Gaskin here. Okay. Not what I expected to hear. I disagree. Really? Yeah. So we can kind of lump this in with the next guy on my list who's Josh Jacobs, if you don't mind. Okay. Jacobs ADP is 37. Gaskin is 47. They're only... I like Jacobs a lot more than Gaskin. They're two RBs apart, but here's the case for Gaskin. So he had six games with 15-plus touches last year. In those games, he averaged 18.7 points per game. He was top 10 in touches per game for running backs and top 10 in scrimmage yards per game for running backs. And 3.9 red zone touches per game was top three in the NFL. So you do make a good point. He wasn't a high pick in the draft. Maybe they don't have a ton of... They don't owe him anything. Right. He's not getting a big contract where they are obligated to keep him as their RB1. And the other thing is, too, we got a new offensive coordinator. You know, the yeah. Sid and Chan game playing Jane offense anymore. We might just not be running the ball off halfback draw freaking every other play. Like, I think they're going to be a whole lot more innovative, and Gaskin might only get 9, 10, 11, 12 carries a game. That's kind of what I'm looking at right now. So if it's not a timeshare like you're saying, I think you're getting a fantastic value at 47. I mean, he he produced pretty much all season long when he was healthy. Yeah, he did. I mean, I picked him up in all my leagues and he helped me a lot. Yeah. But the key's just going to be if he keeps the job. You know, if he's going to be 15 plus touches a game, absolutely he's worth the pick. But I think there's just a big risk that one of these other two guys, you know, they get a series and they break off a 40 or 50 yard touchdown. Then all of a sudden, Brian Flores is sitting there like, why the hell would I not give this guy another series or two? You know, I hear you, but you're two of two, a lot of weapons on offense. Now they should be able to move the chains better. They've invested in O-line. They're going to be better on that front and. I think there's a great case for that offense to look good and Gaskin to really break out, honestly. I hope so. I would love to see it. I hope Tua and the offense really produce and there's not not any issues in having to bring in Jacoby Brissett in the second half. Because I did not, not love that last year. But let me hear a little bit more about Josh Jacobs. Where are you at on him? Do you think his ADP right now is too high, too low, or right where it should be? Okay, so ADP 37... RB20, despite finishing RB8 a year ago. That surprised me a bit. I think it's too low. And maybe injuries, maybe it was the offseason DUI type of thing. Mm. I don't know if it's a combo of both, but for whatever reason, people are down on him. And 
I think he's really good value. Like he's RB two worst case scenario. Yeah. So his production did regress last year. I know he was battling a shoulder injury most of the time. Uh, the the case against him is limited passing volume. He caught 20 catches his first year, 33 a year ago. For reference, Derrick Henry, who's notorious for not catching many balls, caught like 25 last <laughs> year. So that definitely hurts his ceiling. They also paid Kenyon Drake a pretty healthy deal to come in and back him yeah, up. Yeah, that's probably the biggest factor in why he is as low on boards right now as he seems to be. But I I, I mean, I watched Kenyon Drake a lot last year. I found myself watching a whole lot of Cardinals because I had Kyler Murray and a bunch of my fantasy leagues. Yeah. I was not impressed with Kenyon Drake. I mean, he somehow managed to have pretty good average yards per carry, but I, I just never, I always felt like Chase Edmonds was better the entire season. Like I don't anticipate him coming into Oakland and stealing Josh Jacobs job and being RB one or even creating a timeshare. I'm with you. Um, and the other thing is they kind of dismantled their offensive line and didn't do much yeah, to address that is it. True. They took out- that is true. I guess it's pretty validated actually that they've got him as low as they do here on the ADP. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he's a great player. He was an awesome pass catcher in college. I don't understand why they don't use him more, but all those factors we just laid out, you can't have him as your RB1. That is my take on it. Do not it, do not come out of the draft with Josh Jacobs as your RB1 or you're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah, unless you stack up, and sometimes I'll do something like this where I would go maybe Josh Jacobs round four and then just stack, stack, stack running backs yeah. rounds five, six, seven, eight. You know, make sure you've got options if he really is your top RB. Absolutely. Get depth, draft those rookies, get Trey Sermon late, maybe Michael Carter for the Jets. Just make sure you got options and hit the waivers week one. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, my third guy here. Lamar Jackson, average draft position right now, 46. He is QB4. And I was looking at the numbers from last season because initially when I saw this, I was like, oh, that's too low. It's Lamar, like way too low, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, last season he missed one game. I will say that. Did miss one game, only played 15. But he was QB10. Yep. That's kind of discouraging. And the more I looked at it, I don't think he's a bad pick, but I think this is a little bit too high, and I got to go with that. I mean, I like Mahomes, Kyler, Josh Allen, and Herbert more than him, and probably Rodgers, too, if he comes back. No so Dak, it's hard for no me Russ. to. Dak and Russ are close. They're in the same ballpark as Lamar, but I wouldn't definitively say I'd take them over him. And I think Lamar is a safer bet just from the rushing value and the fact that he gives you a little bit more big play potential than Russ and Dak. But also at the same time, kind of on the other side of the coin, I think Baltimore is going to be careful about letting him scramble. I think they're going to encourage him to stay in the pocket more and really try and stay healthy so he can let it loose in the playoffs. I think if they're smart, they're going to try and really keep him under five or six scrambles outside the pocket a game where he's actually doing something and not just throwing the ball away. I think they're going to tell him, listen, man, even if it means losing a game or two in the regular season, we would rather have you just play it safe, run out of bounds, throw it away, you can do all the crazy Lamar stuff in the playoffs. Interesting. Um, so I did a mock a few nights ago. Okay. And his ADP on ESPN was way lower. It was like 
almost really. I would think it'd be higher. It was like sixties, close to okay. 70. That's too low. Yeah, I think fifth or sixth round. Yeah, pull the trigger on him. Okay, so just throwing that out there. I could see a world where he makes it all the way back up to QB one because you saw what they did in the draft. They took Rashad Bateman. They took Tylen Wallace. Mark Andrews had a pretty down year, dropped a lot of balls, was battling injuries and teams were able to scheme up for him better than they were able to in his MVP year. I buy that he's putting in the work and he's going to be better this season. I just don't. I, I think I think there's a, a certain ceiling with his passing game. And I think he is the arm strength yeah. that the NFL quarterback position requires. But I don't think he has the touch and the accuracy that the really good ones do have. And I think for him to be at his best, he has to be scrambling and making things happen and make teams have to spy on him, make them really dedicate a good part of their defensive game plan to take away his scrambling ability because that frees things up for him throwing the ball downfield. If he's not making you worried about the scrambling and you're just having to take away the arm, it's not that difficult. I mean, we saw it with a guy like Robert Griffin III. When he's not scrambling, he's not at his best, and he's just not oh, as effective. Robert Griffin the he third also, didn't have hurt, knees. <laughs> valid point. Okay, so I think I'm a little higher on Lamar than you are. He's had two straight years of a thousand plus rushing yards. That's that's pretty damn good for the QB position. I mean, that's as good. It's as not dads. bad. It, it's safe. You know, it, it's really safe because even if he has a bad game throwing it, he should at least pick up 40 or 50 rushing yards. Even if Baltimore's really careful about letting him scramble, the dude's just so freaking dynamic. Yeah. I, I think I like Lamar a lot. If you get Mark Andrews as your tight end, but if you can get not huge on him, you get not Josh Allen, Dak, one of those guys. I would highly I like, consider. I like it. Kyler so much more. I oh like yeah, Kyler. I got Kyler over him for sure. Mahomes and Kyler are like a whole nother level above Lamar this season for me. Okay, my next guy. Who's your next guy? Yeah, good timing there. Is Calvin Ridley, wide receiver four in twenty twenty, going as wide receiver six this year? Do I think another top 10 season is replicable? Hell yeah, I do. Julio Jones. No Julio. Is <laughs> yeah. In Tennessee now. They got to throw the ball somewhere. Yeah. And, and they're still going to suck. Yes. I think this team is going to be trash, most likely. But I do have faith in Arthur Smith. And I think he's going to scheme up Kyle Pitts in order to create good matchups for Calvin Ridley. So in my opinion, a lot of the reason Ridley had so much success last year is because Julio's so big, physical, yep. and demands a lot of attention. You'd see Calvin yep. Ridley with 10 yards of space against certain teams. Right. You see zones kind of pinching in on Julio and Ridley just coming open underneath, wide open, middle of the field. Um, a whole lot of that last season. And I do think having Pitts there will help losing Julio a little bit because yeah. obviously Calvin Ridley is going to get the number one corner more often, get double team more often. But like you said, they're also going to have a much better offensive game plan with Arthur Smith there. I believe that as well. So what was Ridley's ADP? Was it like 48, 50, somewhere in there? Uh, Just one second. Or higher than No, that. it's 20. It's one oh, it's behind 20. DK Metcalf. 
20. I don't think I could take him that high. Yeah. I mean, if you did last year, it turned out to be a damn good pick. But I have a hard time thinking Atlanta is going to make any kind of jump as a team with a first year head coach. They really didn't do. They didn't. They haven't impressed me in the draft over the last couple of years. I love Pitts. Let's be clear. Six six is Ridley four, four. is Ridley wide receiver one talent. Is he wide receiver one? Because being the number four receiver ADP wise, which obviously he was going around twenty and not forty or fifty, if he's the number wide four freaking receiver. But if he's the number four receiver, that's got to be a wide receiver one quality guy, right? Are you asking like on a football team? Is he a wide receiver one or? Is he going to be I mean, one through team. 12 in the wide receiver rankings? I'm saying one through 10, 10 man league. Is he going to be yes. the best wide receiver on your team? Obviously, he's capable of being wide receiver one talent on a team. I mean, on your fantasy team. Yes, I do think he ends the year as a wide receiver one. But if I'm drafting right there, I'd rather have DK Metcalf or Justin Jefferson just because I do not Agreed. trust Atlanta whatsoever. And Matt Ryan is not getting any younger. Matt Ryan also might not make it through the seasons. <laughs> That'd be rough. Also. I mean, he, he very well could get benched. Like it, it's totally a, a possibility. I thought about throwing you Mike Davis because he's going to be their starting running back this year. And Brian Hills is backup. I don't even know what to make of it, man. I, I very question maybe worth a flyer in like the seventh or eighth round, but I don't think I would touch an Atlanta running back before then. For Arthur Smith to go from Derrick Henry to Mike Davis. <laughs> Mike Davis got some big thighs though. Good luck. I mean, it's gonna be a lot harder to run that play action offense that they were so successful with in Tennessee. Yep. He's gonna have to scheme it up a little bit different, but he does have my next guy, which you mentioned, Kyle Pitts. Yeah. He's my fourth guy here. He's going 98th overall. He is tight end number nine. That is way too freaking low. Listen to this here. If he just averaged four catches for 50 yards and one half of a touchdown, meaning he'd put up, you know, eight touchdowns on the year roughly. That'd be pretty In good. In a 16 game season, if he did that last year, he would be tied in number three. Whoa. All right. That is the best piece of analysis I've ever heard on this podcast. <laughs> That's a no brainer. At, at that point, if you can get the third overall tight end and have that type of positional advantage, take him in the fourth or fifth round, like ninth round, eighth round. Are you kidding me for this guy? That's way too. 10th round is what he would be right now. Like, <laughs> This is a top five tight end lock if he stays healthy. Absolute lock. I think Darren Waller-like numbers from last season are even possible. Wow. Okay. So we just did the whole Atlanta spiel. Yeah. I imagine they're going to be throwing the ball. They're, they're going to be top 10 in the league in pass attempts would be my <laughs> That's guess. That's a safe bet. That's a safe bet. And similar to the Ridley situation, he's going to demand more attention than he did last year. I know Kyle Pitts is everyone on that defense is going to be pointing him out, trying to figure out where he is because he's such a matchup problem. Well, that's the thing. Do you put a cornerback on him or do you put a linebacker on him? You know, can a linebacker keep up with him? Probably not. Yeah. Is a corner big enough to deal with his physicality? Probably, probably not. not. Well, then do you have to double him and risk leaving Ridley one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, probably not. You probably don't want to do that. So 
I mean, I just think there's no way when you have a tight end that's this fast and this talented, like he could be a receiver. He's almost like a DK Metcalf level of freak. Yeah. So I I just don't see any way that this guy doesn't ball out unless Atlanta stinks so bad and they make the switch and bench Matt Ryan like week five and the offense just struggles the rest of the season. I, I think that's the only way he doesn't wind up being well worth six, seven, eighth round pick mm-hmm. um, if not earlier so i imagine they'll line him up wide quite a bit they'll throw a lot of 12 personnel out there with hayden hurst and pitts at the same time russell gage yeah. and ridley i think he's gonna be successful i'm not talking justin jefferson because that was pretty much unprecedented but yeah. late in the season he could really start popping off and if you take TJ Hawkinson over Kyle Pitts, you don't deserve to win anything in fantasy football. I, I think he's agreed. 98 is probably way too low. I think he's more likely to go fifth or sixth round in your draft, especially because all your friends are going to know the name. He's someone I really want to end up with, though, especially if I don't end up with Kelsey or Kels, I should say, or Waller. Yeah. I agree with you. I think he is a uh, a pretty darn good option at tight end here. All right. My next, my final guy, I believe. Yes, sir. Matthew Stafford. Sean McVay's shiny new toy that he keeps raving about on the Flying Coach pod. You should, mm-hmm. you should check that out if you're a football fan, by the way. It's been pretty cool. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Yes. So the way I'm looking at this, is I'm trying to compare him to Goff when Goff was the Rams QB. He was back in QB1 in his best seasons. Yeah. I think Stafford is right. He's going to be right there, but he's got a little more upside. I think. Yeah, I think he's got quite a bit more upside. I think QB6 or 7 upside is probably as good as it's going to get. I don't think he touches Tyler Allen, Dak, Russ. Mahomes, Russ or Lamar. Dak, I think he could get, but I, I don't see him. He absolutely will not be Kyler or Mahomes or Josh Allen range, but the rest, I think he, he could be in play. Like he could finish four or five and I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. I mean, Rogers did it last year and Rogers doesn't scramble a ton. Right. If you end up with Stafford, I think you're going to get someone who's going to be really consistent. They're going to put up 18 to 22 points a week. He's not going to blow you away very often, but the system is too good. This is the first time he's had a competent run game ever in his career. The only time he said a 1000 yard rusher was 2013 with Reggie Bush. Only time in his entire career. And keep in mind, he never had a defense in Detroit either. So he was always throwing his way back into games and it was pretty one dimensional in their offense. There was never even a threat of the run game because they knew they weren't going to run the ball. You're down 27 points in the third quarter, you know? Uh-huh. And stylistically, he's going to come in there. They're going to run that play action offense like they always have. And he's going to be able to make those deep throws over the top towards the sideline down the field that Jared Goff wasn't comfortable enough to take. And they've added weapons. Deshaun Jackson is there. Tutu Atwell, speedster out of Louisville. It's going to be a wide open field for them. I think he's going to have a fantastic year, but he might be better IRL than in fantasy. 
And if I'm making the decision, I'd rather add depth, maybe take another running back and take Joe Burrow around later. I think the move with Stafford is kind of the, the two QB strategy. You know, rounds like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 in that range. Look to just stock up on two QBs if they fall to you in a good spot, whether it's Burrow, whether it's Stafford, whoever it may be. Even Dak or Russ might fall to you in like the 8th or ninth round. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good approach. Just if you don't get the Mahomes or the Kyler at a good spot, don't reach on a QB. Just wait and take two of them that are really good, and you can just go week to week on the matchups and I think Stafford's one that you'd probably start more often than not, but yeah, there's probably going to be some some or there's probably going to be some tough matchups in a few weeks where you feel more comfortable with them on the bench. But what do you think about a little Cooper Cup Matt Stafford pairing? I think Cooper Cup could be wide receiver two, maybe even a flex if you draft really well and get some good wide receivers. And a him and Stafford connection could be pretty nice. We know Cup does well in the red zone. I don't know what to think. Uh, I just laid out. You know, Deshaun's there, Atwell's there, Van Jefferson they took last year. But I Yeah, but then you just got Woods and Cup outside of them. Like yeah. th- those are the two consistent ones that'll be your wide receiver one and wide receiver two most plays. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see those guys really eating into their target share Agreed. is what I'm Agreed. saying. But Okay, I thought you were going the other way. I'm with you. I don't I don't really know what I think of Cup's upside. I, I think his cup side is not what it was a few years ago. Just because of the injuries or what? Just he hasn't been the same player the last. Well, I guess was it two years ago he had this monster year? Yeah, yeah. two years ago in the last season he, he was, was in and out of the lineup, yeah. missed some weeks, and not as good. I think it'll be a mix of the two. Okay, I don't want to reach on I, him though. Yeah, I hear that, but I think if he's sitting there and you need a wide receiver, probably like round six, seven, maybe eight. Yeah, he's worth it. He'll be wide receiver two for you. I think he'd do a good job. Last guy for me here, Javante Williams, 68 overall average draft position, running back 27. I just want to point out <clears throat> only five running back difference, you know, 22 to 27 between Gaskin and Williams. It's a big difference between 47 and 68. So the running backs as they thin out, it's kind of something to watch and don't reach on a guy like don't take Williams here in the fourth or fifth round just because all the running backs are going that can happen here but I think around the 68 area is right where he should be I don't know if he's going to win the job they still got Melvin Gordon there in Denver I like what Williams brings to the table but I just don't think he's someone that you can confidently start and a running back two slot or a flex slot going into the season. This is a guy that you want to stash on the bench, see what happens with him and Melvin Gordon, see how much of a timeshare it's going to be, see what his receiving capabilities look like, see what that offense as a whole looks like, whether it's Drew Locke, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater. You're just going to have to feel it out with Javante Williams. So I think if you're sitting in a good spot where you can afford to take a swing on him and be okay stashing him on the bench for the first few weeks, he's worth taking. But this isn't someone I would look to take fifth or sixth round as a starting running back. Okay. So the reason I wanted you to look into him is because I'm probably going to try to take him in every single draft. He's got Antonio Gibson of last season potential, kind of. He does. First off, Melvin Gordon has had some serious off-the-field issues lately. Um, We don't need to get into all of it. But he's also had fumbling issues 
and he hasn't been nearly close as productive as he was whenever he was in San Diego. I think his time is coming to an end. I don't know, man. That Denver offense was pretty pitiful last year. It was. It's hard to it's hard to do much in the ground game when your quarterback can't throw for more than 150 yards. <laughs> a lot of people around the league think this is a pretty good offensive line, though, up and coming. And they took this guy with a 35th pick in the draft. That's almost a first round pick. He put up 1,100 yards in college, 7.3 yards per carry. 19 rushing touchdowns last season. He's going to play. It's just a matter of how much. Is he going to be in the third down roll to start the year, getting 8 to 12 carries, catching a ball or two? Or is he going to be out there getting 13, 14, 15 carries and getting a lot of reps with the first team? And we'll just have to wait and see. I, I don't know what's going to happen with the Melvin Gordon stuff. I don't know if he'll be suspended. I don't know. I'm kind of operating under the assumption that he will be there. But, I mean, yeah, it gives it gives Williams even more upside if there's a chance that something happens and Gordon does miss some games or potentially doesn't even return. Yeah, I, I think they could even cut him potentially. Uh, oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I, he's just not the same guy. Let's be honest. Um, I, I do. It's agree. too hard for me to say after what one year in Denver with a pathetic team. Right. I, I do agree with you, though. He's not someone you're going to want to start week one. Probably not week two. Let it play out and see where it goes. But the way they've invested in him, new GM there, I really do think he's going to play a big role towards the latter half of the year. He could be a league-winning type guy if that Broncos team does turn out 9-10 wins, like some people think they can. You know who I think he could be? Who? A little Cam Akers action, kind of. Okay. Similar yeah. similar uh, projection for how the season went. You know, kind of in and out of the lineup, not always the lead back. Some games where he balls out, others where he kind of doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Then end of the season just takes off. I think there's a good chance this happens. Okay. Javante Williams, there you have it. All right. Any other final thoughts for us before we bring it to a close here? Is the Big Ben diet news or noise? I it's noise. I I don't I don't think the diet will last. Oh, so you don't think the diet will last? You, you it's not even gonna be a thing. I we'll see. I'm not I'm not too concerned about Big Ben's diet. I think he needs to get his shoulder working right first. I think that's a bigger problem. He sounds pretty serious about this. I don't know what to believe. I, I didn't read it extensively or even listen to whatever it was. I just saw the headline and kind of rolled my eyes. I read Billy Football's blog about it, and he said he's going by Rothless because he cut out the burgers. Oh my. Thought that was pretty good. Shout out Billy Football. Um, that is pretty good. And one last closing note. Shout out to Jordan Nickel. Heartbreaking ah, loss. England. We all saw what happened in the Euro final against Italy. You can question Gareth Southgate's substitutions, putting the youngsters in at the back of the penalty shootout. I don't know. I played football or soccer for like one summer in an indoor league. Love the game, but I'm not qualified to speak on those types of decisions. It seemed questionable, though. Yeah, and I kind of understand the logic of putting your best kickers first because if they go out there and take care of business and you have a lead, you know, a one-goal lead, then it's it's a whole lot easier to take care of business at the end. You've got the momentum. It just seems 
so much easier at that point. But if there's a chance where you're evened up or behind, then all of a sudden that strategy don't look so smart. Right. So I just want to shout out my good friend, Jordan. Uh, the Euro in the UK, most viewed UK events since Princess Diana's funeral. Wild stuff. Wow. Yeah, and that was 1997. That has to be one of the best ratings for a soccer game in the last four, five, six years, at least. As far as US viewing goes, it was the most ever, or most views ever for a Euro game. I believe it. I believe it, man. I watched a lot of this tournament. And in the past, I haven't as much really just been kind of like a World Cup and Olympics type of guy for international soccer, but right. was locked into the Euros this year. It was fun. It was fun. Have no fear, Jordo. It's coming home in Qatar next winter because the World Cup is going to be here in 18 months. Let's go. Okay, man. I don't know about that. I'm not as confident in England as you are, but they got a nice young squad. I'm They'll for sure trying be in to make me feel better. Oh, sorry. I'm probably not doing that right now. Sorry, Jordan. Uh, All right. Well, that's all I got this week. Y'all know the drill. Leave us that five-star rating. We appreciate the love, and uh, we'll be back. Peace.